Who here feels like you are good at praying? I heard like a comedic. (coughs) Who here is a prayer warrior? Who here is is more than a prayer warrior? Who here is like a prayer Batman? Anybody? I think for me, maybe some of you feel this way too, prayer is one of the things that I feel the least good about in my life. I feel like I never put enough time aside for it. I never make it dedicated time. It's always like I'm driving somewhere or I'm going through my morning routine and I say some prayers. I get distracted very easily. There's just a lot of ways that I'm bad at praying. And of course, I do the classic thing where I I pray for the stuff that I really want. And I forget like, oh, I was supposed to confess my sins. And, you know, a Sunday school teacher taught me, we have, you got to praise and then thanks and then confess and then pray for other people. And then number five, after you've done all that stuff, pray for yourself and the things that you want. But only after you've paid your dues by doing everything else. And so I think I feel a lot of guilt about prayer. I feel like I don't know how to do it well, like I do it poorly a lot of the time. And it's, it's like one of the big spiritual practices, one of, the, one of the disciplines that a Christian is supposed to have. And I, I don't have it. And, I'm, and I think probably a lot of you can relate to that feeling at least a little bit. I remember our first year and a half of marriage, I had not prepared very well to be a husband, especially in terms of finances. We were poor. And, you know, there's enough money for a single guy. But suddenly I had a wife and a baby on the way very quickly. And I was feeling a lot of anxiety about money. And every day, multiple times a day, I'd pray, Dear Lord, please provide for our needs. Dear Lord, please provide for our needs. Please provide for our needs. Please provide for our needs. And that was just the constant prayer of like a year and a half. And one day I got really angry at God in a wicked way because he was not providing for our needs. Like we weren't quite making it. We didn't quite have everything figured out financially. And I was just like, yeah, I try to have faith. How, how much, how, how, how many times do I have to pray this? I was angry. And I remember it hitting me all of a sudden, like it it just struck me, you know, Nathan, You've actually been lying, lying to yourself, maybe kind of lying to God as you've prayed this prayer because you're not actually praying for God to provide for your needs. Like if that was true, he is. You're not starving. You have the money that you need. You're actually probably more or less paying your bills. Maybe it's a little touch and go, a little scary sometimes, but things are taken care of. So God's answering the prayer. You should be happy. Well, every time I prayed, God, please provide for our needs. I think what I realized I was actually praying is, God, please remove our needs. Like, I don't actually want to have to rely on you on a daily basis, on a weekly, on a monthly basis. I just want you to take care of things such that I don't have to rely on you. You'd be like if you went to your boss and you said, hey, boss, I'm going to work for you for the next 
35 years, so can you just give me all my money in advance? Can you just write me one big check? And then I'll know I'm taken care of and I'll do my work. Obviously, your boss would be like, take a hike, you're not getting any check. But I think this is actually the way that I'm tempted to think about God sometimes. Like, I really want him to just take away my need for him. Which would be a pretty good anecdote for a sermon about faith or something like that. But what I actually want to talk about today is prayer and how we can learn to pray honestly. I was not being honest in my, in my prayers. I thought I wanted one thing, but really I wanted something else. And I think we all struggle with honesty in our lives. It's very easy to be dishonest. It's very easy to lie to ourselves, to not understand our motivations or to kind of cover them up. It's very easy to lie about other people. It's very easy to tell little white lies. It's very easy to lie. Even if you don't think of yourself as a liar, it's easy to tell lies. And that goes into our prayer lives. Sometimes we pray for things like we put a really dignified Christian motivation on, you know, dear father, please uh, help me get that raise so that I can support the capital campaign, so that I can give a tithe. Is that really why you want the raise? Dear father, please let that girl notice me so that I can glorify you with my marriage. Is that really why you want the girl to notice you? There's those kinds of lies that we tell ourselves in prayers. There's lies that we say in prayers about the way that God has acted. My brother-in-law passed away, and he was pretty clearly not a Christian. He said as much. He rejected Christ with his words, with his actions. He said, I reject Christ. He basically said that sentence in nastier language, but he said it. Well, at the funeral, people were praying, Dear Father, we're so thankful that Robert has been ushered into your presence. We're so thankful that Robert is in the bosom of Abraham right now, that sort of thing. They were lying in their prayers. It was a very nice lie, if you know what I mean. It felt good, but it, I don't think it was true. Oftentimes in our prayers, we, we lie about God's character. You know, maybe you're the kind of person who doesn't confess things to God because you actually think that he's a tyrant that will crush you for your sins. Or maybe you think he's not holy and doesn't actually take your sins all that seriously. We don't give thanks to God because we actually functionally don't think of him as our provider, as the good and generous father that he is. There's all kinds of ways that we might be tempted to be untrue, dishonest in the way that we pray. Now, is my point that everybody here is a dirty prayer liar? That's the moral. Don't do that. Don't be that. No, I, I think we all tend towards dishonesty in our fallen human state. We all have ways that we don't want to look at the truth of who God is and the truth of who we are. But I think one way that we can think about becoming better at prayer, which is a discipline that God requires of us, God wants us to be praying, is how do, how do we pray honestly? How do we come before the Father and see him for who he really is and see ourselves for who we really are? 
Because that's, that's a great thing. Like, that's a great goal. That's, that'd make for some good prayers, right? And, and prayer is one of the ways that God works to orient our hearts towards him so that we can better live Christian lives, obey Jesus, do the things that we're supposed to do. So we want to have our prayer life in order. And in order to do that, I think we want an honest prayer life. Now, all of that as a prelude to Psalm 5, which is a psalm of King David. Everybody knows who King David is, right? The great king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel, maybe the greatest, one of the greatest kings, the greatest king, you could say, that the world has ever known outside of King Jesus. He was a type of Jesus. He was shepherd, poet, warrior, killed the giant. We know King David, right? He wrote Psalm 5, and sometimes the Psalms will be connected to very specific things in the life of King David. You know, such and such happened, and he wrote this song, and so we kind of know. We don't know exactly why he wrote this one. What we know is it's, it's like a simple morning prayer. It's like you're making your coffee, you step outside on the porch, there's dew on the grass, the sun's coming up, you pray. It's, it's, it's a prayer for the morning, and please listen to it. Psalm 5, to the choir master for the flutes. A psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. So we need to learn to pray honestly. And I submit to you that there are six ways that David tells the truth in this prayer. Six truths about himself, about God. Six, six ways that David is honest as he prays this prayer. On the face of it, this is a very simple prayer. Like it's if you've read your, your Bible, if you've read prayers in the Bible, if you've read the Psalms, you've encountered this kind of stuff before. You've seen all these themes before. It's basically just, hey, God, please listen to me. You're really great. And please lead me. And please destroy my enemies. And please keep your people safe and joyful. Basic stuff that Christians should be praying. But I think the way that he prays it, there's a lot of truth in this psalm. And it's the kind of truth that we can bring to our own prayers. So I'm going to give you six of them. Truth number one, David tells the truth about his need for God. Verse number one, 
Give ear to my Lord, uh, words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So David starts by saying, give ear to my voice. Listen to me, God, please. Condescend to me. Listen to me. Which is the kind of thing you just read over and you don't really think about it. But this is David we're talking about. This is King David. If anybody ever could make an assumption that, ah, yeah, God's probably already listening to me. I'm a man after God's own heart. I'm a, I'm a symbol of Jesus Christ. God listened to me that one time and I killed a giant, a literal giant. If anybody could just be like, I'm going to get to the chase and say what I want to say, God, of course, will listen to me. It would be King David. Yet he tells God of his need for him. He enters God's presence with respect. He says, God, I, I need you. I can't make this work without you. I can't. I, you, you must condescend to me, Lord. We need to be very aware of our need when we pray. Very aware of our humble state before our creator. I remember in, in high school, I had a friend who would say things like, may God strike me dead if I'm lying. Just very casual, you know. Hey, Jeff, did you have a, you had a peanut butter sandwich yesterday. No, I had a chicken sandwich. May God strike me dead if I'm lying. And even at the time, I felt really queasy about that. Because I'm just like, why would you make a statement? Like, like do you really believe that there is a God? I think you do, Jeff. His real name wasn't Jeff. But, uh, like, do you take the almighty creator of the universe seriously? The one that keeps the molecules in your body from flying apart? We need to tell the truth about our need for God, which is how David starts this psalm. So tell the truth about your need for God when you pray. Truth number two. David tells the truth about God's character. Verse four, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. David rehearses God's goodness and God's hatred of sin. He's just like, here are some true facts about you, God. You are this way. You do these things. This is what is in your character. When we pray, we need to praise God by telling God the truth about himself. God actually likes to hear us simply say what is true. C.S. Lewis, I think, says somewhere, you haven't really appreciated a thing's beauty until you've complimented it. Like if I see my wife and I'm like, ah, she's pretty hot, but I just think it and I don't say, hey, honey, you're beautiful. I have not actually completed the act because verbalizing it, saying it, you know, that's why, why poets write love songs. Saying it is how you do it. It's, it's part of the, the completion of the act of appreciation. So we need to be praising God, verbalizing what is true about him, everything that's true about him. Here it's stuff that we might think of as negative. 
The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But David isn't ashamed of all the attributes of God, and he, he wants to tell the truth about God's character. So he tells the truth about his need of God. He tells the truth about the character of God. Number three is interesting. He tells the truth about the way that he is going to obey God. He tells the truth about what he's going to do in response to God's character. Verse seven, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. So David's like, you're really good, God. Here's what you're like. I need you. And because of who you are, I'm going to do a thing. I'm going to bow down in your holy temple. I'm going to go to church, basically. In all those little, you know, uh, everybody familiar with Acts, the prayer, it's like adore, confess. What's the thanksgiving and supplication? Is that what it is? There's not on there aspirationally say a thing that you will do now that you've established who God is and who you are. But actually, if you look through the Psalms, David does this kind of thing all the time. He's like, hey, God, I'm going to go do this thing. I'm going to, you know, tell sinners your ways. I'm going to stamp out evil. I'm going to do this. He's always telling God about what he's going to do in response to God being good. And he's not presumptuous about it. He says, by the abundance of your love, I will do this thing. But he is not above telling God how he wants to act. Aspirational holiness is not a thing to be afraid of. Saying, this week I'm going to love my wife, or this week I'm going to respect my husband, or this week I'm going to, whatever it is, share the gospel. This week I'm making it to church on time. Meredith and I went to a wedding one time where they'd written their own vows. And actually, the woman wrote pretty good vows. They were just like, I vow to love you and respect you and obey. I think she actually did put obey in herself, which was interesting. But the guy's vows were very silly, I thought. The guy's vows, I think the first of his vows, I vow that every day of our marriage will be an adventure. And I just remember sitting there thinking, you know, you're going to be tired like halfway through the honeymoon. Like Tuesday, what if you get sick? Is it going to be an adventure? I guess it's an adventure to get sick. Maybe he didn't say good adventure. I don't know. But I just bet, like I've lived enough life. I was married at the time. Like I just think maybe there's going to be some days where it's not an adventure. Or if it is, it's a crummy adventure. So maybe don't make a vow you can't keep. And then I remember Meredith and I having a very interesting conversation on the way home because she wasn't defending this guy, but she was just like, you know, Nathan, you made vows that you don't keep. And I was like, whatever do you mean, darling? And she's like, well, you vowed to love me. And I said, well, you vowed to obey me. (laughs) There is a sense in which we do make aspirational vows, not presumptuously, not that there is a way in which we say, you know what? I am going to chart my course towards loving you. And yeah, there'll be rapids and there'll be things that happen and we both understand I'm not perfect. That like is in the fine print of this somehow. But overall, 
this is the, the North Star for my life. This is, the gui- this is the compass. This is the guiding principle. And I think we can, we can do that in our prayers to God. We can say, God, I aspire to be this way, to live this kind of life, to serve you in this new way this week. Please help me. I can only do it with your kindness, with your love, with your help. So David, I'm going to keep recapping. He tells the truth about your need of, his need of God. He tells the truth about God's character. He tells the truth about what he wants to do in response to God's character. And then he tells the truth about what he needs from God. Verse 8, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your ways straight before me. If anyone had any doubt, we should absolutely ask God for what we need. David says, I have enemies and I need a straight path. And apart from you, I'm not going to have one. Please, God, help me. If, if you actually need a raise or need more money or whatever, you should be asking God for those things. And you can't let, you know, I think when we're five, if, if, if someone like me grew up in a Christian household or semi-Christian household, it goes like this. You're a four-year-old and it's really cute. And you say, dear Lord, please give me a pony and please give me a dress and please help Kitty. And it's all requests. And then at some point, some godly person says, you know, you should actually make it about God and make it about other people and not just make it about yourself. And you kind of learn that lesson. But I think in my life, at least, I learned that lesson so much that I kind of felt guilty ever asking God about what I needed, even though when I really needed something, it would spill spontaneously out of me. But you can't read scripture and not see that we ask God for what we need all the time. It's one of the primary things we do in prayer. We're commanded to do it all over the place. Philippians 4, make your requests known to God with thanksgiving. We have to ask God for what we need. We have to ask him to make our paths straight. He delights for us to humble ourselves and say, God, we need you to do not just vague sort of, you know, make me more holy. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but please do it this way. Please prevent this catastrophe. Please work in my life here. So David tells the truth about his need for God, tells the truth about God's character, tells the truth about what he's going to do to obey God, tells the truth about his needs, his requests for God. Truth number five, he tells the truth about God's enemies. Uh, Verse nine, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. That's interesting, right? David is like, here's your enemies, God. Here's what they're like. I'm going to describe them to you, and I'm going to make a very specific request. Number one, that you deal with them. But number two, I've got an idea for how. What if you had them fall into their own traps? That would be cool. That would bring you a lot of glory. It's really interesting. Now, do we in this room have enemies? Absolutely. Everybody here has enemies. I don't know who it is for everybody, but uh, for some people it might be the pornographers that want to tempt them on the internet. For some people, it might be, I don't know, the, the spammers that want them to click a link on the internet and give all them all their money. For some people, it might be coworkers who you know would report you if you ever actually stood on God's truth at your job. For some people, it might be a schoolmate or a friend or a family member, this one happens an awful lot, who is not godly and doesn't think you should be either and wants to 
pull you down to where they're, they're at. For all of us, there is the reality of Satan, who is real, who is intelligent, who works against us to seduce us into all sorts of things. So if you can't think of any other enemy to pray against, pray against Satan, who's working in a very real way against all of us. So David tells the truth about his need for God, tells the truth about God's character, tells the truth about what he's going to do in response to that, tells the truth about his needs, tells the truth about God's enemies. Number six, he tells the truth about God's people. Verse 11, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favors as with a shield. David prays for God's people. He prays that they will be joyful and that they will be protected, that God will put his shield around them. And so my question is, do you pray for the church? Do you pray that God will give her joy, that God will protect her? The church is, you, you are a part of that body. You are a part of the church universal. You can pray for the church in Africa. You can pray for the church in Timbuktu. But also, you are a part of Church of the King. And so is it a regular, consistent part of your prayer life to pray for the church when you get the little email from Pastor Solzer with the list of things? Do you take a few minutes to pray for it? Do you find time to build that into your prayer routine? Everybody look around the room at everybody. These people are your brothers and sisters in Christ and they need your prayer. They need your prayer. And it says when, when one weeps, all weep. When one rejoices, all rejoice. We are actually all part of the same body. When, when, one, you, know, when you have a toothache, if someone asks you like, how's your toothache? You don't say, well, my belly feels good, my toes feel good, I don't have a headache, so that's nice. No, your toothache dominates everything, right? When you eat a delicious bite of pizza or steak or whatever your favorite thing is, that becomes everything, right? The body is unified. And so we, we can't be selfish. We have to be praying for each other, holding each other up, loving each other, thinking about each other. People in this room need your prayers. So tell the truth about your need of God. Tell the truth about God's character. Tell the truth about how you will obey God, what you're going to do. Tell the truth about what you need from God. Tell the truth about God's enemies. Tell the truth about God's people. I think it would please God and he would bless us and he would answer our prayers if we all committed to doing these things, to being more truthful in our prayers. And some of you may be thinking, well, I can hardly find time to pray in the first place, let alone have a, a quote-unquote good prayer. I have good news. You can at least pray to God for that. You can ask God to help you with that. That's a very legitimate request. God, help my prayer life. Help me to be able to glorify you in the way that I pray. pray. And, and orient my heart towards you. Make me want to. Make me love your people and want to pray for them. Speaking of which, let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for the men and women of your church. We thank you for everything that you've so richly blessed us with. 
We pray that we would all love you, that we would be diligent in our prayers and truthful in our prayers, and bless our remaining time together this, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.